Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome in UAP Weekly, this edition here. I'm Stephen Diener with you on the Unidentified Alien Podcast Weekly Edition as we get ready to uh, dive into a lot of great subjects with the one and only Robert Salas. Very excited to have him on here today. Um, first time that he's a guest on the show and very uh, honored and pleased that he's going to join us here in just a second. But before I get into that, just want to say a couple of things real quick because I want to devote a lot of time with Robert Salas here today. Uh, first off, I just want to say thanks because the response to the previous episode about uh, the Puerto Rico and uh, Papua New Guinea sightings has been awesome. So I'm really glad you guys enjoyed that. Um, found both of those stories to be fascinating for a while. So I'm glad I was able to cover those there. And I'm glad you you liked it. So I just I'm always happy when you enjoy it as much as I do when I when I get to make these things. So that makes me happy. So I just want to say thanks for that. Um, and also, I am aware I've been following this, uh, I guess, these reports out of Peru about supposed seven-foot aliens that are attacking some villagers and some people within towns. I, I don't know really what to make of it. I've been trying to keep track of some of the details. I just wanted you to know that I'm not ignoring it or that, you know, that I'm not now aware of it. I am aware of it, and I've been following it. I, again, I'm just... Not really sure what to make of the whole thing just yet. If more things happen, I'm going to keep my eye on it. Obviously, you know, it makes us think of the Las Vegas story with the seven, eight-foot aliens that they said we're, we're seeing there, and a lot of people didn't really know what to make of that. And now these reports coming out of these small towns in Peru about seven-foot aliens attacking people. Uh, it's incredible. It's the These are absolutely incredible claims there's some blurry video out there that is is kind of hard to make out. So all in all, I just want to throw it out there. Yes, I know that's happening. I'm just not exactly sure what to make of it yet. So I'm going to keep my eye on it. And if it continues to develop, I will absolutely uh, devote an entire episode or at least part of an episode to that um, as those stories maybe continue to come out. It's it's pretty wild so far, though. If you haven't kept up on that, you can you can search it on social media. It's been pretty crazy. But aside from that, like I said, I really wanted to devote a lot of time here today, the vast majority of this show, to uh, the conversation with Robert Salas. If you don't know, or if you're not fully familiar with Robert Salas, this is a man that has been involved with the UFO UAP discussion for over 50 years, going back to the mid to late 60s with the Maelstrom Air Force Base incident. In fact, this was episode number two. Uh, that episode two of UAP, where I talked about that, it was titled The Day the Nukes Went Dead. And it's a story, it's an incredible story, and I'll get into it a little bit here with him, amongst many other things, including the congressional hearing, his thoughts on that, on the witnesses, why he wasn't called, uh, quite frankly, to be a part of that, and a lot more things to cover with him as well. But you'll you'll hear us talk about it a little bit. It's an incredible story about how 
these UFOs were seen. He was there. He was in charge of the launch of these ICBMs, you know, nuclear warheads on them uh, at Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana, and everything was disabled. So I'll cover that with him a little bit, but uh, he's he's a big deal in this, in this world, and he's been involved with a lot of discussions and trying to bring out disclosure for decades now. So without further ado, we'll bring him on here and have a great conversation. Looking forward to this. Robert Salas, thank you so much here uh, for joining UAP Weekly. Glad to have you on. Uh, happy to be here, Stephen. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have you. So there's a there's a lot <laughs> that I would like to cover with you, so we'll try to get to as much as we can today. Um, first thing I want I want to ask you is kind of, you know, what we saw recently with the congressional hearings uh, with David Grush, David Fravor, and Ryan Graves in front of Congress, all under oath, saying you know, the big statements that they made, historic day really for guys of that stature to come out and talk like that under oath for the country and the world to see. I wanted to get your initial thoughts from that day. If you can kind of just give your reaction, what your thoughts were after seeing that testimony. Well, I really anticipated their testimony. I was happy to see it. It's a open hearing uh, televised um, to the country. By, like you say, three very credible witnesses. Uh, uh, just off the top of my head, I, I was really impressed with with, with all of them. Uh, how how uh, explicit uh, they made their statements. For example, uh, David Fravor uh, was uh, uh, encountered uh, the UFO uh, very close. Uh, uh, he stated uh, a couple of things uh, pretty important. Uh, number one. Uh, there, we have no, uh, aircraft or, or object that can do what, uh, he saw this thing do. Um, it took off, uh, right in front of his eyes, uh, at very high speeds. Uh, it was actually tracked on radar and, uh, went to their cap point or their, uh, rendezvous point for the, for the mission, uh, which was about 60 miles away in less than a minute. Hmm. So that's got to be like at least 3,600 miles per hour. Um, uh, so uh, that was pretty significant. He also said that uh, he's disappointed that um, uh, he wasn't properly debriefed on this by anyone uh, in his command. Uh, it was basically hushed, hushed, hushed up. Um, and of course, um, uh, uh, let's see, David Grush mm-hmm. also said essentially the same thing, that um, uh, he's actually been, uh, uh, you know, uh, not cooperated with, uh, and he's been threatened by mm-hmm. people in, in his command. Uh, uh, they don't want any of this stuff released. Um, and it goes to the issue of uh, what I've been talking about for many years, and that is, uh, I think there's a, a well-established cabal or secrecy group uh, within government that's really working hard to keep these secrets. Yeah, and I think it's important to to kind of make that point because, you know, a lot of the things that were talked about during that hearing were, you know, as a pretty recent and probably the, the latest thing that was talked about, or I guess, you know, maybe the furthest thing away was the Tic Tac from the Nimitz. That's 2004. That's almost 20 years ago. But, you know, just going back to your incident, which we'll get to later, the Malmstrom incident, or even going back to some of the things, 
you know, we heard about with like Operation High Jump, you know, some of the stories coming from there post-World War II with Admiral Byrd, which is that's that's, I think, a point that people miss sometimes that this is something that's been going on well before 2004. Absolutely. Um, uh, Mr. Graves uh, talked about the um, uh, problems with air safety. I understand that completely. uh, But uh, there have been reports going back at least, uh, uh, well, uh, in uh, 1950, uh, where during the uh, big uh, uh, sighting over Washington, D.C., Uh, many of the pilots that encountered these aircraft or these uh, objects uh, uh, stated that they uh, flew in front of them. They, um, you know, uh, they're very aggressive uh, in in that respect. But, uh, and then 1957, I can, you know, I've got a website. I'll put a a, a post on uh, that incident. Uh, That was an RB-47 incident where UFO Again, followed the craft very closely, uh, jumped in front of them, ran, uh, you know, flew across their flight, hmm. uh, uh, line of flight, and uh, on and on. There's, there's plenty. Now, I, I, I wish that Mr. Graves had pointed out specific incidents where um, uh, there, there could have been a serious incident involving uh, UFO uh, too close to the aircraft that caused uh, something to happen. But uh, so far, I haven't heard of a, an accident or a serious incident, uh, but maybe he has more information on that. What did you make of the three witnesses that ended up showing up there? I mean, look, all upstanding gentlemen, you know, great careers, great resumes, everything like that. I know that um, there was talk from Representative Burchett from Tennessee that there were supposed to be six whistleblowers that were going to be there. We ended up with the three that we got, which, you know, again, they were great. What did you make of those three and why you think maybe more of the other ones didn't come out? Say, you know, why didn't we have six? Well, Burchett said essentially that uh, uh, the DOD put a a kibosh on those uh, other three. Uh, uh, Either, uh, I don't know, I I don't want to use the word threatened, but they... um, kept them from testifying uh, by applying pressures in various ways. Uh, again, you got to understand we're talking about highly classified information. Um, the three that did come forward, um, uh, again, the, uh, the issue that Graves brought up is uh, an important one. It's aircraft safety, hmm. both civilian and military. However, uh, 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 the national security issue, I could have, I could have provided some pretty good information. I've been studying this for over 30 years. Uh, well, almost 30 years. Uh, and, uh, I've got a lot of information that I've accumulated about UFOs, uh, in association with uh, nuclear weapons facilities. I was actually about uh, to rhythm. ask you that. I was going to say, did they reach out to you at all? And if, if not, why didn't they? Because it seems like, I mean, you, you could have given a lot of information that would have been pretty useful on that day. I think so. Uh, they did not reach out, uh, uh, much to my chagrin, because I made a, a strong effort to uh, put my name forward. Uh, I, I actually uh, wrote and, uh, and telephoned their offices 
many, many times. I had other people do the same uh, in supporting, uh, you know, my testimony. But uh, I was never contacted by any of them. Uh, the reason I think, and I'm just speculating here, is because this is such a volatile issue. The fact that they these objects were able to disable nuclear weapons um and they haven't found an answer for that uh uh they didn't want to have this such an explosive issue um at this time now uh something i might be invited in the future if the senate has a hearing which i anticipate they will um but um again i don't think they have the answers uh and so they're hesitant to present this to the American public. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think there will be more hearings and hopefully they uh, include you in, in at least one of those that are coming up. I think it would be very beneficial for a lot of people. Robert Salas, you mentioned um, a couple of the books actually that, that you've written in with you know, UAPs and the nuclear puzzle, Unidentified, the UFO phenomenon. And I, I say that because, well, number one, they're they're great. So if, if you haven't read them, I think it, everybody could uh, find a little piece of information in there that they might find helpful or very interesting. But you wrote those, you know, based off of all the experience you've had in this field and especially going back to Malmstrom Air Force Base in 1967, March of 1967. That's where this kind of all began for you, right? Was was that night when these UFOs, these UAPs came over the base in case anybody's not familiar with the story and... Everything got shut down. <laughs> well, uh, the missiles were disabled. Uh, we in the capsule, we were underground 60 feet. Um, uh, there was no impact on us as far as power, lo- loss of power. And the missiles didn't lose power at any time. And there was no damage to the missiles. I want to emphasize that. What happened was uh, they were able to send, by they, I mean the objects, <laughs> were able to send signals to um, each of the 10 missiles separately to upset the guidance system. And it was simply an upset of a, uh, a level platform we use for, for the inertial or gyroscopic guidance system that we had. Um, and that's what shut them down because uh, uh, it's a very... Uh, mm, very sensitive system that ha- uh, we had to uh, go through to, in order to target these missiles. And if the targeting system or the um, guidance system is un- uh, somehow tweaked, uh, then it would shut the whole thing down because obviously we don't want to launch uh, where we can't really acquire the target properly. So that's the reason they shut down. There was no damage to the systems at all. And how long did that last? That lasted, uh, I'd say, approximately 24 hours. We had uh, immediately got uh, uh, maintenance crews out there to uh, retarget the missiles um, and set it up again. And uh, uh, so over a span of, I'd say, 24 hours, uh, it took to get all the missiles back up on alert status. Now, I know, I know you've answered this question before, but I'll ask it for anybody who hasn't heard your answer. Given the time, 1967, why wouldn't this have been the Russians? Why wouldn't it have been one of our adversaries that could have, you know, disabled our ICBMs like that, that night? Uh, first of all, we have a, 
uh, uh, we had a warning system, uh, NORAD, North American Air Defense, uh, which would have tracked any object heading for the U.S. Um, uh, what this object did, like I said, was uh, pretty much uh, some of the things that Mr. Favor, Fravor, I'm sorry, uh, Commander Fravor stated was um, they were able to fly very fast, stop on a dime, reverse course, make 90-degree turns, no engine noise, um, and uh, uh, we had nothing in our inventory then or now that could do something like that. Uh, th this was reported, uh, these words of operational abilities of these things uh, were reported to me directly by my um, security guard, main, main guard upstairs. Um, they're the same kinds of words you hear today by pilots that have seen these things. Um, uh, no, we had nothing in our inventory. And again, I was in the Air Force uh, uh, and then later worked for Federal Aviation Administration for 22 years. Uh, and I can assure you we had no aircraft that could do anything like what it did. Uh, uh, so then, I, like I said, it hovered um, silently uh, and sent signals separately to each of the 10 missiles. And this didn't happen just once uh, in my incident. This happened in 1966 at uh, Minot Air Force Base. David Shindelli has spoken about that. He's also given his testimony to Arrow, as I have. Hmm. Uh, and then... Uh, uh, in my case, uh, there was an incident eight days earlier at Malmstrom. Uh, Walter Fiegel, Colonel Fiegel, retired, is a witness to that, uh, and his commander, and the same thing happened there. Uh, UFO came over uh, the facilities and shut the missiles down within seconds. So within the span of eight, I'm sorry, uh, six months, within the span of six months, we lost 30 uh, ICBMs or nuclear missiles uh, during UFO encounters. Why do you think that is, Robert Salas? Why is that something that is being targeted, not only then, but also now? I mean, you hear about, you know, nuclear submarines with swarms of UAPs around them or just in general. I mean, even going back, you know, missile tests from Big Sur, there's all these stories throughout the decades of these objects being interested enough in our nuclear capability or weaponry to basically, you know, disable them. What is what, why, yeah, why, I'm, I'm gonna, why the interest I'm, there? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to refer you to my, uh, uh, website, spiralgalaxy.org. Anybody can go there. And if you go to, um, let's see, I've got UFOs and nukes, mm -hmm. uh, in uh, 2021, October of 2021, I and other witnesses, you mentioned, uh, I mentioned David Shindelli, and there's also uh, Robert Jacobs. Uh, that was the incident in Vandenberg Air Force Base. Um, uh, if you go there, you'll, you'll see a history of UFO encounters over nuclear weapons facilities uh, spanning uh, from 1940 five to almost the present day mm. uh now your question why 
are they doing this? To me, I think it's obvious. Uh, I've thought this for a long time. Is they're simply reminding us of the uh, possibility of complete annihilation of our civilization, <laughs> our planet, if we get involved in a nuclear war. Uh, I go into great detail in my books on how um, this current policy of nuclear deterrence, which means uh, having a superior number of nuclear weapons over any enemy, uh, has simply caused the world to be more dangerous and more susceptible to nuclear war because other countries have developed their own nuclear weapons. So we have nine countries now. Two of those countries, India and uh, Pakistan, are currently at war with each other. They could use them any time. Mm. Russia has threatened to use nukes in, in the Ukrainian uh, war right now. Uh, we in the U.S. have tried to do, use nukes or could have used nukes in other wars. Mm. Uh, the, the Korean War and also the Vietnam War. Uh, both times uh, our military commanders asked the president, if they could use nuclear weapons. So mm. uh, I know it's a horrendous thing to think about, but it is a very real risk, uh, even today, that we could get ourselves into a nuclear war. And so, again, in answer to your question, I think these beings, these uh, advanced civilizations that are visiting us are simply warning us uh, to um, rid ourselves of nuclear weapons. And and that's my ultimate goal, to see if we can get started on abolishing all nuclear weapons. Uh, and I think it's a it's possible to do that. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a nice goal to have, um, for, for sure. It can be a safer place. Well, how, how were you met, Robert, when it came to these things, you know, these incidents that we're talking about here? As compared to present day with someone like David Grush, where he's met with, you know, still, you know, skepticism here in 2023, but then you have a congressional hearing where he is essentially the main witness. Compare that to how you were met when you first started talking about your experiences. Well, uh, uh, first of all, my first disclosure was to the Great Falls Tribune. (laughs) (laughs) I walked into their office and got a hold of the editor and told my story. And of course, uh, uh, he listened carefully, but you know, he wanted uh, to uh, do some research, et cetera. So uh, of course I was met with uh, incredulity, uh, but I kept at it. I went on radio shows, TV shows, and uh, finally with the help of Robert Hastings, um, who wrote the book, UFOs and Nukes, we started doing um, press conferences in Washington, D.C., uh, also with the help of Stephen Bassett. I want to uh, mention Stephen Bassett brought, brought me in as a witness and uh, during his press conferences in uh, Washington, D.C. And at times we were met with, um, uh, of course, both skepticism, but we did get um, uh, media coverage um, and in the case of the presentation we made in 2013 in Washington, D.C. at the Citizens Hearing on Disclosure. We got a lot of media coverage, right. international coverage, and we got the attention of some of the Congress people. Um, of course, they called me a nut, but uh, <laughs> still we got attention. Uh, uh, 
And then uh, what happens is the media gets uh, distracted and um, and uh, three days later, uh, nothing. You know, it's like the media had amnesia, forgot all about it. Uh, today, we're, we're seeing the same kind of thing. Uh, we are getting some TV coverage. However, it's not uh, in-depth. It's, you know, 30-second sound bites uh, here right. and there. Uh, so I think the media is responsible for the fact that more uh, this isn't given more attention in, in the government and around the world. So uh, I'd like to call them to you know pay more attention, bring more people in, talk about this in more in depth. I'm, I'm with you on that. And one thing that they really haven't brought up, which <clears throat> I feel like it's a big deal is this new UAP amendment that Senator Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, I think it's uh, you know fair to highlight his title there because that's someone who is in a real position of power to where now he came out and made it a point to add in this new UAP amendment they're calling it in the National Defense Authorization Act for 2024. So when something like that happens, you would think, oh, wow, you know, the Senate Majority Leader is having this UAP amendment put in, that might be a top headline. And you don't hear that much about it, but it is a big deal, right? Am I, am I wrong about that? <laughs> no, you're right. It is a big deal. In fact, the title of that amendment is called the UAP Disclosure Act mm. of 2023. That's the official title. It would establish uh, the presumption that all such records be disclosed to the public uh, although later on, of course, they talk about uh, unless it affects national security, which that's a big box. You know, yeah. how do you define what could affect national security? So uh, there's a lot of leeway in it. Um, it does, however, uh, state that there is credible evidence and testimony in U.S. government records that have not been disclosed to the public. So essentially, it's admitting uh, this document, this amendment is admitting that there's been an ongoing cover up by the government. Right. That, that's that's pretty uh, much the gist but, of it. I mean, and I think like you said, too, it's the main point in that is they're almost acknowledging without actually saying it, but they're acknowledging that there has been stuff that's covered up, which they've denied for decades. Exactly. Exactly. It, basically stating that uh, there are legacy programs where um, commercial industry has been involved, uh, private sector, um, non-governmental agencies have been involved in the cover-up. And there are all these records, UAP records, uh, outstanding, uh, that they are demanding, basically, through this amendment, uh, that these be turned over to the government now. The big question I have is, while all this is well and good, what's the government going to do with this information? Are they going to disclose to the public or are they going to continue um, and say, well, we can't release some of this stuff. It's too explosive, like in my case, um, and, uh, and, and keep it hidden like they have for decades, uh, you know. Words are fine. Uh, I, I, I applaud uh, Senator Schumer, Senator Rubio, and others uh, that put this out. Senator Gillibrand, of course. Uh, but when it comes right down to it, and Grush, David Grush, um, verified this. 
there's still an ongoing effort to uh, maintain these secrets, and it's going to be very, very, very difficult to uh, unlock them, even even with um, amendments like this. And you know, I can't help but to wonder, and I'm sure you've wondered the same thing. So I'll ask you. Why now? I think it's the question that keeps going through my head. Why now, after all this time, is Congress and the Senate so seemingly suddenly interested in this conversation, in this, you know, in these questions of other life and this, you know, otherworldly technology? Why now does it seem like they really want to jump on the ball here and bring about some type of disclosure? Well, I think you saw the uh, frustration in uh uh, Congressman Burchett, uh, you know, in the, in the uh, press conferences he's given, he's shown a lot of frustration that we're not getting the answers. Um, uh, so I think this has come to a head uh, partly because of, uh, again, the 30-year effort, not only myself, but many others have, uh, have done to uh, get the word out uh, through these conferences, uh, and it just kind of built up into the fact that the evidence is overwhelming, mm. overwhelming uh, by a multitude of people, including astronauts. I just finished reading a book by Gordon Cooper, um, mm. who had his own incidents, uh, and of course, uh, Edgar Mitchell and others. Uh, I have come forward. Uh, the the evidence is simply overwhelming that we have got to deal with this phenomenon. Uh, and of course, uh, after the release of the Tic Tac videos, uh, uh, that kind of kicked it open to um, much more interest by Congress. So, uh, but still, uh, while we've had the testimony of uh, of Grush and Fravor and uh, Graves. Um, uh, there is still a lot of questions. <laughs> For example, Gr- uh, Grush has got information, but he still can't get into a skiff, right? To tell uh, to tell <laughs> congressmen what they want to know. Uh, uh, so, like I said, it's going to be an ongoing battle, and um, what people are uh, again, if you go to my website, I wrote a paper called uh, "Extreme and Excessive Secrecy." Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll find it there, but it talks about um, the security system is broken, seriously broken. Uh, um, people that are supposed to report on classified um, systems and, and uh, procedures are not reporting. Um, uh, there's a lot of things wrong with uh, how we keep the secrets, and that's how I think the cabal wants it. <laughs> uh, they want a mess uh, secrecy, so they're going to have to. F- the government is going to have to figure out how to fix that in, in order to make uh, an amendment like the Schumer amendment work. I'm curious, Robert. Who do you think is or what is involved in in the cabal? That's you know has been talked about a lot that you've brought up. Is it? A mix of things. Is it a private companies uh, like Lockheed or their division of Skunk Works, Northrop Grumman? You know, a lot of these Boeing, a lot of these companies that Raytheon. You know, another name that a lot of people bring up. Is it strictly in the private sector, or do you think it's a mix of private sector and you know, big government somewhere, top generals, things like that, Pentagon officials? Well, 
I think it's uh, individuals within government and outside of government, like you mentioned, uh, within some of the industry, aerospace industry companies that have benefit from, benefited from uh, uh, retrievals and back engineering and producing products uh, based on the this advanced technology that uh, they've been able to glean from these uh, studies of retrievals. Uh, this is a very, uh, let's say, lucrative mm -hmm. enterprise that the Cabal has going. Uh, people are making money, uh, a lot of money. Uh, They're able to barter these secrets with other countries. Other people in other countries uh, that are cooperating with the, look, the cabal, I'll say, uh, there's plenty of evidence of that. Um, and so secrets are powerful. They're powerful political tools uh, and lucrative. There's money to be made here. So uh, I'm sure part of the reason the cabal is keeping the secrets is because there have been crimes committed Mm. Crimes committed, as David Grush pointed out, uh, including uh, the severe way they uh, they treat potential whistleblowers. Uh, uh, well, we we won't get into that, but it's, mm. <laughs> I think Grush pointed out a, a couple of pretty horrible things that might have happened yeah. to people. Yeah. When we do have another hearing, which I think we will, from all indications anyway, unless Congress is stonewalled again, um, I think it's important for them to, to try to get you out there and get you involved because you've, you've seen a lot of this for a long time now. And there's a lot of information that, that you can give, quite frankly. Well, even if I am not invited to speak uh, at a public hearing, uh, like I said, I, I have uh, began, the, began the process of putting a lot of information on my website. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, anybody that wants to see the evidence I've got for my case, the other cases that I mentioned, uh, and new cases, which maybe people aren't aware of, uh, they'll all go there. And uh, so I'm reporting to the public. And so uh, one thing we should understand is uh, disclosure is not just about the government telling what they know, but it's about witnesses coming forward and telling what they know. We do have a whistleblower act now. Um, uh, Arrow is interviewing people and will continue to interview people. Uh, in my case, I've got the entire interview on tape mm. over two hours. And I'm open, as far as I'm concerned, open to releasing any or all of that. Uh, um, so uh, we, the public, we, the witnesses out there, can do our own uh, disclosure. Uh, whether or not uh, the government recognizes it, um, it's really, uh, I think this is going to be a political issue hmm. in the coming election. Uh, uh, people have to demand answers uh, of their politicians. These people work for us. Uh, uh, not for their own uh, re-election per se, uh, but that's what they're trying to do. They try to uh, keep a low profile on uh, uh, subjects that uh, they have difficulty dealing with. But uh, it's up to us to keep pressing uh, 
our representatives keep on your congressman senators uh ask them about these things uh keep talking about it and, and that's what i'm gonna do yeah no, it's, it's a good way to put it. And I, I want to mention, too, you mentioned your website. It's uh, spiralgalaxy.org. That's uh, Robert's website. You can go there. There's a lot of great resources, uh, resources on there and tools and information about uh, the books that you've come out with, about you know the, the Malmstrom files on there. So there's a lot of good info on spiralgalaxy.org. Um, you mentioned the presidents, Robert, and actually I, I had this question in the back of my head, so I'll ask it. Um, and, you know, a few more minutes. If I know you're very gracious with your time. I appreciate it, and we'll wrap up here soon for you but i'm wondering have you heard anything about um presidents being involved with this secrecy because there's so many stories that i've just heard about where the you know this this secret government if you will the cabal i've heard that they try to keep some presidents out of the loop because they look at them as like part-time employees almost right is that your experience or have you heard about some presidents kind of being in the know uh, well, what I do know is President Truman uh, uh, acknowledged that he was being briefed. You know, you Google that, uh, mm-hmm. you can find it on the web. After Truman, I think they established um, a, a secret group, if you will, that was confirmed by uh, Wilbert Smith, the Canadian engineer, that there was a secret group studying this uh, subject and to keep the president up to date or informed on this because, of course, it's a temporary job for a president uh, and they don't want uh, presidents after they retire uh, talking about this. So I, I think they've, they've made a conscious effort not to brief presidents. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's been uh, theories about uh, John F. Kennedy being, you know, looking into it. Uh, you know, Clinton looked into it. Uh, so did uh, Jimmy Carter looked into this, and they were stonewalled. We wrote a letter to Barack Obama, um, and he came back, or his uh, uh, scientific uh, advisor came back and stated there's no evidence to show that uh, we've been visited by extraterrestrials, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Uh, so I, I think he was kept in the dark. Is that the... The secret group that we talk about, I know some people are going to wonder, so I'll ask the question. Is that the Majestic 12 <laughs> that, that we're referring to? Uh, Majestic 12 was the beginning, I think, of this secret group. Um, there was a letter written to um, a couple of letters that were verified about Majestic 12 uh, by Stanton Friedman, who I hold in high respect. Um, I knew Stanton personally. He did a lot of research and ver- validating the fact that this Majestic 12 group existed, uh, headed by Vannevar Bush, um, who was really the top scientist during World War II um, in the government. Uh, There are uh, records of people like Einstein and uh, Oppenheimer that visited the crash site of Roswell Mm -hmm. in 1947, uh, supporting witnesses to that. Um, So, yeah. Uh, I think that was the beginning of of this secret group. And a couple more things here, Robert. I'm wondering, through everything that you've gone through with this subject and trying to get the word out there and your own experiences, do you feel like this is the closest to some type of disclosure that we've had or, you know, or people getting their hopes up? I think people should get their hopes up. Yeah, this is the closest we've come. And I, I think... 
it can't be turned around now. I think there are uh, too many uh, government officials and whistleblowers coming forward uh, uh, that are highly, highly interested in this subject. Um, and uh, I think we're on the cusp of, of getting more disclosure. The key, I think, again, is to have open hearings mm. and the Senate. I, I, I sure hope they do have open hearings, even if I'm not invited. <laughs> it's important to get witnesses in front of the public telling these stories because it's really the public that's going to push this wide open. Um, these Congress people, like I said, are uh, uh, historically uh, weak need when it comes to these kinds of things. It's really the public pushing forward uh, that's going to break things open. And I think we we can hope for that now. Yeah, I think that's it's really well put because it does feel like to me, too, and, and I agree with you. It almost feels like there's a shift that's kind of taking place or has taken place. And I think, you know, some of the analogies that are used, like you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. It feels like we're kind of in that moment, right? I agree. I think so. So I'll get you out of here on this, Robert. I wanted to play a little a little name association game with you, if you don't mind. If you don't want to uh, to give a comment, or even if you're not familiar with the name, then that's fine. But I wanted to... Just curious, when I throw out a name to you, what's uh, some of the first things that come to your mind? Is that okay? You can try, but uh, <laughs> I may have no comment. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. We'll give it a shot. Um, first name I have here, Jeremy Corbell. No comment. All right. <laughs> In a good way or a bad way? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> okay. Uh, George Knapp. No comment. Lou Elizondo. No comment. David Grush. Uh, I think he's a good witness. Uh, I believed him. I think uh, he's going to make some waves. Yeah. Okay. Uh, John Lear. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I think he's a valid witness. Uh, actually, I worked on his aircraft, uh, the Learjet. Uh, not the Learjet. It was a composite of the Learjet, composite materials uh, when I was with FAA. Yeah, for those who aren't familiar with him, I know that might be a little unfamiliar for some people, but he's the son. I mean, he's part of Learjet, but he passed away last year, but he had some incredible claims, talked about, you know, uh, Roswell, talked about Area 52, talked about these runways opening up in the middle of the desert. He had a lot of incredible claims and some things that actually people look back on now from interviews like in the mid-90s and like, wait a minute, we're hearing about this now. So it's pretty interesting. If, if someone's not familiar with John Lear, I say it's worth your time to, to look him up. Yeah, people don't remember uh, Stearman. Uh, he, he produced or developed uh, one of the initial trainers, uh, um, I think, uh, prior to World War II. But he had his own UFO experience. Hmm. Um, Dr. <clears throat> Stephen Greer. No comment. Bob Lazar. No comment. All right, I, I want to press just a little bit. Do you find Bob Lazar to be um, reputable, truthful? Do you, do you find him to be somebody that should be taken seriously? Let me just say I find uh, that there is good evidence, and I'm convinced uh, that we have uh, uh, non-human uh, bodies or entities or have had them. Uh, we have developed uh, uh, 
machines that uh, attempt to simulate the flight characteristics of UFOs uh, developed from recovered craft. I'm convinced of those two things. And uh, those are the kinds of things Lazar talks about. Uh, I don't know Mr. Lazar. I've never talked to him. Um, uh, so that's one reason I have no comment. Uh, it's not that I don't believe him. Uh, in fact, uh, um, I'm like I said, in agreement with some of the things he stated. Okay. Well, last one. I think you'll have a comment on this one. Robert Salas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a guy who's trying uh, trying to get the word out, and I'm going to keep pushing. Good. That's great. Well, Robert Salas, thank you again so much. It's, it's really been awesome talking to you. I've always been fascinated personally by your story, uh, by your experiences. So uh, just for me, it's uh, it's an honor. It's a pleasure to have you on here for UAP Weekly and talk about this subject. Thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, like I said, I'll, I'll just keep on talking. Absolutely. I'd be happy to have you on again as uh, things continue to develop, if you like. Okay. Great. Thank you. Robert Thanks. Salas joining us here on UAP Weekly. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, he was great, and I'm so happy we were able to do that today and share that with you. Uh, just awesome perspective from someone like that and Robert Salas. And, um, and also, just to hear him say that people should get excited about the prospect of disclosure and that this is the closest he's ever seen it, I think that was really striking to me as well. But that's all I have for today. I think that interview says it all. And there's obviously still a lot going on. Like I said, I'm going to keep my eyes on everything happening in Peru. A lot of wild stories coming out of there, like I you know, kind of mentioned at the beginning. But aside from that, also working on episode 73 of the original UAP. So a lot of great things to come. Right here on UAP, stay tuned as everything continues to develop. I'll cover it here as best I can. Until then, continue to subscribe, download to the podcast, uh, You know, find it wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, all that good stuff, and hopefully you continue to enjoy it. Um, also, you can follow the show if you're not already on Twitter, X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, at UAPodcast850 is where you can find me there. I do my best to always respond to everybody, send direct messages or tweets, whatever you want to do, posts, whatever. Um, at UAPodcast850 is where you can follow the show on X slash Twitter. And the email, if you like to send an email uh, directly, if, if that's a better route for you, at uh, sdienerUAP at gmail.com. That's sdiener, D-I-E-N-E-R. UAP at gmail.com if you have a message you'd like to send my way and you're not uh, too big on using social media then by all means you can send the email as well I'll be happy to respond to you there but other than that I will keep up to date with you on everything going on and episode 73 hopefully coming out soon as well and, you know I have some ideas on that so I'll let you know what's going on and like I said hopefully out soon for episode 73 and of course UAP weekly keep you up to date the best I can with everything happening but until then Thank you so much again here for joining me. Hopefully you enjoyed this as much as I did today with Robert Salas. I will talk to you again soon. It is Stephen Diener here, UAP Weekly Unidentified Alien Podcast. Speak with you again soon. Until then, be well and thanks very much.